All right, well, we're coming up on the end of the year. I mean, I'll, I'll reveal the obvious secret. We're recording this a little bit ahead of the end of the year um, yeah. or whatever. That's an odd phrase, but I thought we should have a uh, – we don't have any news this episode, but we should have a, uh, a little predictions thing. Whenever I was an analyst, I always loathed doing predictions, uh, but whatever. You can figure out a way to do them in a fun way. So I thought you know, you had the good suggestion that we should look back at previous predictions – Mm-hmm. kind of rate them. And I think I think what you've done is more or less picked a bunch of other people's predictions. So that's good. Right. I think maybe there's one prediction you made, none that I made that we can review. So that's <laughs> that's good. And uh we'll kind of look back on those and and I think I think mostly what that exercise is fun for is to sort of get a sense of the uh the aggregate of what people were thinking a year ago. And we can kind of uh, talk about that. And then and then uh, we'll wrap up with some predictions of our own. And I'll make some so that, uh, you know, assuming we're here next year, which hopefully we will be, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we can comment on those as well. What's your yeah. – let, let, me, let me ask you just one very small uh, system of working question. Now, you've, you've been around uh, for a while. What's your, what's your model when you're doing predictions? Like how do you – what do you do? In terms of how do I come up with them? Yeah, yeah. Like, like so, for example, uh, yeah. in some more formalized places, if you have a group, uh, yeah. you'll have a spreadsheet and people will write a bunch of one-liner uh, predictions. And then you might allocate each person in this group gets 10 points and they can assign however many points they want. So you weight it and you sort it. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, these are this is our belief in the predictions or something. That's an overly complicated way. I think usually what you do is you sit in a room over some like, you know, sandwiches or some catering and you just sort of like as a group figure out the ones you want or don't want before you get bored doing the task. Mm-hmm. And then a junior person has to write it up. But I don't know. What, uh, <laughs> what, yeah, I, what I do you do? I, I don't think I'm creative enough to come out with the completely left field predictions. I think what I typically end up doing is seeing where do I see like a, an early indicator, right? Is there some sing- signal mm. in the noise that says like, wow, this, this kind of thing, is this a canary in a coal mine? Let me use a lot of metaphors. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's what I end up doing is I look at that and then try to think like, how realistic is this? And for purposes of like our podcast, it's, it's probably better to be less realistic because that's more fun and hot take like. <laughs> uh, right. But yeah, no, I don't have uh, fancy flow charts or sticky notes or scoring systems or, or you know, internet polls to help me help me pull this down. How about you? Do you do some, uh, consult the magic eight ball or? Oh, I, I think, I think probably similar to you. I just pay attention to what's going on week to week and just kind of think about the, uh, the trajectory of it. I mean, I think maybe the only, the only thing different, at least in what you said is, uh, I usually go back and like, look at stuff I bookmarked or talked about just to remind myself of things that had happened. And, uh, and then it's also like, uh, when you're, when you're all fancy pants, like, uh, like we are, someone someone pays for you to have access to analyst sites so it's fun to go look and see what their their predictions are mm-hmm. present and future well, yeah i think that's the weird thing that probably both you and i end up doing is we for better for us we end up absorbing a lot because we just keep in touch with what's going on so i just think our brains kind of grind through on this stuff and eventually certain things kind of just squirt mm-hmm. out as like oh this is probably what's happening because yeah. we've been chewing on it for a year Totally. And so it just seems like that's probably what happens is these are just insights that come from go going through gobs of information every yeah. day. Yeah. And it's also a bit of a, uh, I don't know what, what the word is like a spoiled advantage of, of like, uh, you know, it's kind of like, well, my prediction is it's more of this, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like when you, yeah. when you have too much like ongoing commentary about what's happening, it's, uh, 
it's hard it's hard to like have not checked in for a year and then therefore see how much is advanced it, it, it looks like a a slow encroachment uh, mm-hmm. i don't know the closer you look at it anyways so what yeah. uh, what have you gathered together of predictions for this past year what, what, yeah, were, we'll what were people sh- saying we'll, a year ago that would happen yeah, so we'll share uh, the list of ones I'm looking at. I picked up some more of high-profile sort of forums, not you know weird guy just coming up with predictions, which is what I would write. But what are what did we find in some larger publications? So you know, one of the first ones I'm looking at uh, is, hey, 2018 is going to be the year of the voice interface. Like, hey, Alexa, and you've got you know Google Home, and you have we all love IVR systems, so maybe that was also supposed to be more of it. But that was the first one. Like, did voice really take off this year? I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that voice, I mean, you know, I have Google Homes in my house. Mm. You know, obviously those sort of devices are big. I think I saw there's 10,000 people at Amazon who work on Alexa, which Whoa. is just unbelievable. They, they, so, must, they must be actually typing answers to the questions I, I people send I think that's send what it. it is, right? <laughs> yeah. What should we have for dinner? And there's like three people quick swarming around a cubicle going, I don't know, maybe some stew. Uh, that might be it. <laughs> I, like, so, I like that the first thing he thought of was stew. <laughs> Uh, well, oh, first great. of all, I think I think I had never connected those two things, but I think the idea of like uh, you know Alexa and Google Home and all these things is basically like uh, a self service IVR system is awesome. <laughs> it's just it's just like right? a, a a decision tree of things to do. But yeah, that that was that was one of the things I was looking at when I was going, looking through past things. Is uh, I uh, I had forgotten how big of a deal that was not big of a deal as in the phenomena but like that's all anyone talked about for a while was like all those voice Mm -hmm. things and what's going to happen with it and i don't know i haven't gone to go see you know the idc supply chain reports or whatever but um, right i don't know i think i think people kind of like think it's interesting and uh Mm -hmm. it's a really good speaker and um but i don't i i haven't really heard any like great follow-on stories of like how 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 those voice things have like changed people's lives or businesses in um yeah, i mean you see some you see some spot stories of things happening at certain companies who voice enabled certain stuff but i don't know a lot of times it's still faster to do things however i did it before than talking to a machine now they've gotten yeah. much better i don't know if you ever had a car that had those first generation sort of voice activation features and oh, you had boy. to say it the exact certain way yeah you had to have you know, it sounded like a robot when you talked to it so I, I you stopped using it after the first day so i mean these are better now which is great my my four-year-old can scream at the google home and it somehow knows what song to play <laughs> yeah so that's yeah. amazing i i think maybe but, that is the most popular use in our house uh which right. which for me wishes makes me wish it didn't exist because like last night i listened to the same what are these kids listening today type song like 20 times and uh <laughs> and then even better like my son would my son and daughter would be trying to ask for it again and it would take them three or four times to do it but yeah so so the the potential of stuff is there and and i guess i mean one last thing for me at least on that topic is uh you know now that i live in a uh, um what would you call it a big city where you walk around a lot in amsterdam right versus being in your car or being isolated you're kind of like frequently out in the environment uh like I, there's this idea to use another one of siri or if you've got the full apple kit going on like your earbuds and your phone and you're connected to your internet you know there's also 5g i always wonder what happened to that i've been hearing about that forever i think 5g and right. vdi are in the same bucket of of uh, the future <laughs> anyways yeah and and in theory like you you hook up your siri thing so that at any point 
I could say like, Siri, when does the next train leave from Amsterdam Central to go to Mutaport? And it would mm-hmm. like tell me something and, you know, it would solve my problem. But I just like, like, even if that did work, I just can't imagine myself walking around in a throng of people and all of a sudden I'm like, Siri and like talking to the phone. It's, <laughs> it seems so weird. But, you know, yeah. I mean, that idea of and also I could never get that thing to work where I just say Siri. But I, I'm still, despite like being kind of a, a voice downer or whatever, like I'm still attracted to this idea that I could just sort of like say that all of a sudden, no matter where I was and something would happen. Uh, mm-hmm. That sounds cool, but I'm willing to wait the five to 30 years for it to actually work. <laughs> yeah, especially now that we're all in open floor plans where Ooh. it would just be constantly going off all the time. So right. like, I couldn't use that at the Pivotal Office. That's no. right. All right. So that was the first one. Uh, another one in this particular set of ones was talking about retailers kind of closing stores to focus on e-commerce stuff and try to fight back on Amazon. I mean, I think we saw at least the first part where a lot of retailers were closing their doors. I don't know if we saw them then kind of come back in force to actually be better online presence. And some of them are, you know, one of our retail customers had just blew out Black Friday, like three times what they ever did before. Of course, everything worked perfectly because it was on PCF. But it was like these online presences are have absolutely kicked up for some. But did you see or did you notice anything around here around retailers kind of up in their game digitally while they closed down brick and mortar? No, I mean, not this year, at least. Like, I remember in writing up, working on finishing out my uh, my little book, which I forget if I, I've told you this, we came up with the clever title, Monolithic Transformation. We'll see how, maybe, maybe it's just monolith, but this, that's a good, I think that'll work. That's better than what is what is digital transformation. Anyways, like, you know, in reading that, like, I've looked at a few things, uh, a few examples, and retailers have sort of, like, already done as much e-commerce stuff as kind of possible and i mean just i don't study retail very well but so i guess that's a way of saying like this prediction is correct but old Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i mean i guess i guess what i have seen kind of anecdotally is uh well one on the negative side and this doesn't really have anything wholly to do with this prediction on its own but some of the as they say forces behind it like I think Sears is shutting down like completely, right? right? Which is, that has a lot of its own problems besides computers that were driving that from the lengthy fun fun stories I've read. But then also like Toys R Us, I think went out of business this year, uh, as Mm -hmm. I recall. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think think with some exceptions, I think most retailers who are going to be online are sort of like, given their late start usually are like at par with like selling stuff online. And I think, I think the one, the one thing as far as like replacing to the point of the prediction I've seen is uh, like, at least at grocery stores, um, you know, down in Texas, there's only one grocery store that matters unless you're, uh, you're (laughs) one of the other grocery stores that is interesting and interested in being a a pivotal customer. Then there's many grocery stores that matter, but the, the biggest (laughs) grocery store down there is HEB and over the past year, they've been adding, uh, or at least I've noticed them adding omni-channel stuff, right? Where they'll deliver mm-hmm. your groceries, you can pick up your groceries. And my sense is that, like, that's additional business that they're adding, right? It's not like replacing in-store stuff. It's just, like, another way to get your groceries. So, right. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I feel like I, I would change it slightly, I guess, to be, like, I think... I think online things are augmenting and growing retailers' business and not sort mm-hmm. of like sucking away from the uh, in-store experience, if you will. Yeah. 
No, it's interesting. I mean, the I, the amusement isn't lost on me that you know around my office is an Amazon Go store. Like now they've opened, they've actually <laughs> right. opened up physical stores, and my kids get a catalog in the mail from Amazon. Like what the, Ooh. like you're literally doing the Sears game plan from, I know. from 19. 19- that that was but, uh, that that was one of my uh, my main winsomey kind of thoughts when Sears was going out of business. Is I read somewhere that they stopped doing the big catalog some years ago, and and I was thinking like that used to be one of my favorite things as a kid was like you get the Sears catalog and you go circle all the things you want for uh, for Christmas. And man, even now I'm I'm taking like a few extra seconds to just enjoy that memory. That that was always a fun time. So that'd be great if Amazon did that. Just print that up yeah. and go buy things. Yeah, destroy all the physical companies and then still send me catalogs. I think I it's a, a plan to success. Uh, the other one in this list, I'll, I'll wrap this one up with. Uh, besides the CMO, it says will be more important after the uh, the most important C level, like after the CEO. And now that I've recently come out as a marketer, uh, I, I like that one. <laughs> that's uh, that's good. I think marketing is more important than ever. So yeah, that sounds great to me. How about you? Yeah, way, way to suck up to your boss. Be like the, the the head of marketing, very important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This game is played. Yeah. Oh, so so wait, what is the prediction again? The CMO. So the prediction is the, was that the yeah be the most important C level after the CEO. And I think mm. you know, joking aside, I think some of that is about like this era of actual getting messaging figured out. It's very noisy in this marketplace. Understanding yeah, how you actually yeah. connect people that actually is really meaningful nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I think I think uh, to to be to be Weasley about it. When I think of this prediction, it's kind of like more of a, uh, you know, my favorite metaphor, not one. One of my favorite metaphors is like something's a Rorschach test, right? Mm -hmm. And this is like a Rorschach test of like your perspective on things. And I think in some enterprises, some organizations, marketing is the primary value generator, right? Like, um, you know, I use a lot of shaving cream. And the difference between any giving shaving cream is not much, <laughs> right? Like it might be right. a different color. Maybe I put it on with a brush or, you know, whatever. Like it's really, it's a commodity. And so in that business, like marketing is incredibly important, right? Like how you market something is a huge part of what drives your margin. And so if you're in that kind of business and you're doing digital transformation or trying to learn how to computer better, then sure, your CMO is probably going to drive a lot of those projects, determine the budget for it. And more importantly, they're the ones who are going to get the value from it. And so it's kind of like their deal, if you will, uh, versus like, I think other businesses, like if you were, um, I don't know, uh, manufacturing tractors or cars, then like marketing is also important, but it's not as important as, as like, well, our tractors are 20% more awesome because of this thing, right? Right. Or, or, you know, like the classic thing in agri- tractors and agri- agricultural stuff is like we have satellite technology and IoT stuff that makes like programming your tractor and gives you, you know, crop yields of like 5 to 10% more, which means you don't go out of business as a farmer mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know that industry. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I think, I think more of, of I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I think it's more indicative of like, you have to figure out how to apply like this function of being able to customize the software you have and whoever the ultimate wielder of that is what becomes important after the CEO. And maybe there's one exception like, and well, I don't know, like in, in talking with retail people, I've noticed that 
there still is a distinct like IT department and and the the managers of like you know the store experience versus the rental tool thing to use a hardware thing like they're still kind of independent and uh they get serviced or helped by IT. So maybe that's the distinction is like who is IT's primary customer that is not IT in the business. And um I don't know. I think that's more of what's interesting is like IT providing someone finding that role and, and having them be the customer and who that what that letter after C is before O mm-hmm. is just it, it just depends on what the money maker in the business is. Mm. There you go. Mm. That was my dissembling, uh, if I'm using that yeah. word correctly. Good dissembling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll move up to the uh, the new stack next. Actually, it was written by Craig McLucky, who I guess is about to be one of our colleagues when uh, VMware's intent to acquire Heptio is completed. But so he wrote up some stuff uh, for the new stack last year, looking at kind of cloud. And you know, one of his first points was, "Hey, multi cloud's going to be imperative. Open source is the foundation for it." That seemed like a safe bet. I think we saw a lot of people talking multi-cloud this year, realizing multi-cloud. It seemed like software vendors recognized that their future probably lied, you know, lay in being a multi-cloud provider versus saying we're just going to be, hey, we're just going to couple to a single cloud and hope they don't eat us. Instead, it seemed to be more of like, hey, let's make sure our software runs in multiple places on-prem and off. So that seemed like a pretty safe prediction, but I, by all accounts, that has been true this year. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of another. I think maybe this was in one of the Gartner or Forrester things, maybe Forrester, but it was essentially, yeah, it was Forrester, and it was oh, I, f- I forget. It's what's his name? It's the guy who his Twitter picture is black and white, and he's got a good smile and a little and a beard. It, what's his last name starts with a B? Anyways, one of one of his predictions was uh, that private cloud was going to you know in in mm. uh, 2019 be more fleshed yeah. out and a bigger deal. And he had yeah. a, he had a pretty um, coherent write up of it, and so yeah, I mean, I I often uh, I don't know I, I have a lot of like philosophic angst about like multi cloud and lock in and all these kinds of things, but I think I think sure. I think what when I hear multi cloud, I think I think that people are interested in in two things. Well, one, first of all, I think that prediction's accurate mm-hmm. <laughs> over the past year. Uh, yeah, and and I think. I think what people are talking about, let's take us vendors off the table because we're like clever and conniving when we use words. We're just trying to help people. But uh, anyways, I think what people are talking about is like, I don't want to be restricted to functionality of some cloud I choose. So I want to be able to have, I want optionality that in the future, like prices don't go up and I, I don't regret uh, choosing this cloud because now I'm locked into this pricing. And even And equally worse, I now regret regret choosing this cloud because there's I have like feature envy of some other mm-hmm. cloud that's out there, and then sure. I, I always and then there's another case of like I just you know literally have to be able to run on multiple clouds for various reasons, uh, and yeah, I mean I think I think that is a, a very real like architectural concern people have. Like it's hard to it's always been hard when you're making IT decisions to choose like one platform from top to bottom like you always want some variety in there and the optionality to try different things so i think uh yeah i mean multi-cloud makes a tremendous amount of sense if only because you want to uh take advantage of as many different types of functionality as possible and then also uh man there's a lot of choice out there at the moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) and yet and yet i feel like you have to make a choice so when there's when there's a um 
what would you call it when it when it's a buyer's market like you want to buy as much optionality as possible right like mm. you, you don't want to restrict yourself and uh, you don't want to lock into things so and lock in in the sense of like i've committed to this decision and therefore i can't decide to do other things later uh right like yeah i mean that definitely seems uh multi-cloud that's a thing i think also <laughs> like to add some more dissembling is actually to conceal your your true intentions with a word wall mm. which is actually not what i was doing i think i was more babbling uh but <laughs> <laughs> to to add some more babbling i think i think and this is a little like i think one thing that will be interesting to see over the next year is how much uh like amazon takes takes the place that like a uh, early 2000s microsoft had of, of this like dominant like big island of its own versus all the other players and how that kind of conceptually fits in and i sure. and i think that kind of situation would drive a tremendous amount of multi-cloud think as we saw with open source and linux versus windows uh in the early 2000s yeah good uh well the last one i'll pull from this one uh craig had mentioned hey this will be the year of reliability engineering you know as google's sre sort of stuff picked up and you know, I think that there's a lot that we saw probably in Pivotal around that is more people wanted to treat their platform as a product. That offering from us remains extremely popular as people realize that anything they're running, just having you know a shotgun approach of upgrades and, hey, when do we evolve this thing? How do we run it? And a bunch of admins just support 50 different products. But instead, like treat our, our core platforms as actual products with life cycles and do reliability engineering and make sure that we're thinking about SLOs and who's using this thing and how do we think of error budgets and everything won't be 100% online and how do we build reliability in? All those sort of concepts seem to come to the forefront. There were definitely some high-profile outages this year, like there will always be. But I don't know, did you see a, an interesting uptick in people thinking about reliability, especially as you know, you just brought up, again, a, a lot on multi-cloud, we're building more complicated systems. I mean, the monolith, for all of its warts and maybe downsides, also, it was probably more predictable. Like if it did crash, you kind of mm. knew how to take it back online. Now we're building systems that are almost emergent. Like you don't know how this thing will behave. So have you seen an uptick in that or is just just par for the course? Like, yes, make your systems reliable. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think the way you explained it, I was thinking of it one way when you when you read it. But no, the way you explained it. Yeah, I agree completely. That like, I think I think there is uh, there's so much discussion of like site reliability engineering. And uh, and that kind of thing that there's uh, there's even like delightful or annoying, depending on your perspective, debates about like, is SRE real and how is it different than DevOps? And like you and I have talked about this a little bit from time to time. And mm -hmm. uh, I, 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 I must have been late at night when I should have been going to sleep instead of, you know, being on the Internet. I was I remember I was Twittering something that like, uh, you know, you've reached success as a thought technology when people are like debating what it is. <laughs> Right? Like, like debating what SRE is and if it's real and what's yeah. not. And so, yeah, I, I think I think that idea, as as we would say it, as thinking of a uh, a uh, a platform as a product, which is kind of the SRE approach. Yeah, I think that definitely like came to uh, early fruition in mm -hmm. in this past year, and we'll see even more of it. And just one more data point, coincidentally, on that is so I've been trying to finish watching all of uh, the Rabobank presentations mm. that are out there, which is to say all the presentations that this guy Vincent at Rabobank has done. Maybe there's other ones I should look up. <laughs> but it, it's interesting to look at the timeline of, so they have a platform that they put in place mm -hmm. maybe a year ago. I mean, 
Pivotal Cloud Foundry, obviously, but they have put in place this idea of a platform as a product that they use to run their online bank and also that they use as their microservices platform for the entire bank. And what's interesting to think about their timeline is it took them, I think, three years to get to that point. Like it took them two years. Once they decided that they needed to decide on something, (laughs) so to speak, (laughs) it, it took them two years to stand something up. So I would have to imagine a year before that they were like, we should decide to decide something. <laughs> and and so, you know, it took them two or three years to get to the point where they stood that up, I think, earlier this year, let's say at the beginning of this year. And so if you think about it, like most all other large organizations like them would be on that same timeline or a similar timeline. And so they would have had to start about two or three years ago to, in 2018, have it be the year they have like SRE and platform as a product. And so I think I think most people, if you re- think back two or three years ago, they would have started thinking about this stuff. And if they're as sort of uh, lucky and with it as uh, Robo is, they they would have been able to deploy it this year. So yeah, yep. I think that lines up, and Good. it's definitely what's in the discussion. Everyone talks about what's DevOps versus SRE versus. There's no other words, just those right. two. <laughs> oh, that's it. Uh, all right, good. I got four more for you. So the one I'm looking at CIO. Uh, online, CIO.com, one of theirs was, hey, Google gets real. The prediction was Google becomes the number two public cloud in 2018, outpacing Amazon and Microsoft in customer growth, beating Azure in revenue. That has not happened. Mm. And obviously, Google had some some turnover at the top with Thomas Curian coming in over Diane Green's tenure ending. And I don't know, I'm personally still bullish on what's happening at Google Cloud. It's still great tech. They're expanding at a great pace. You know, it's a talented team there. I think they'll continue to try to figure out how do they get the enterprise traction when they don't have that initial foothold that Microsoft has by default by being already a trusted provider there. And Mm. Amazon just has its own ubiquity that they get to sell. And Google's still seen, I think, as a a consumer sort of company. So that one didn't land. But, you know, what did you think of this year in Google? Well, I think, think, uh, you know, I'm always sore over Google Reader, but that's fine. That's a whole other part of the company. Uh, me too. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that right now. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think what what we in our infrastructure, enterprise software, whatever it is we do, let's mm-hmm. say cloud neck of the woods, what we learn all the time is like uh, Google can be can seem like they're kind of like aloof, but really it's a bad idea to think that they're not going to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> right like yeah. and 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 as part of that um like i think something that i i've heard over the past year to the point of this prediction is pretty much every developer type person i've talked about is like google cloud is awesome like mm-hmm. they they i've heard it characterized over and over again that google is like a cloud built for developers uh and I, that would make sense so yeah i mean i think i think Google is constantly well positioned to do very well. And I mean, they're, they're top three, right? Like I, I remember when Thomas Curian was going in, there was something like they had, I don't know, eight, 10% or something of the public cloud market, which seems small, but I guess it would, it, they were the third tranche of, of, of uh, market share ownership. Maybe it's bigger than that. Yeah. I probably got that all wrong, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they have a tremendous amount of potential and I think, I think, uh, yeah, I mean I mean they they just I don't know. They they uh I think they'll do well. <laughs> yeah, and, no, I think that's 
yeah. safe bets. And and I think you know as an example, right? Like like uh, maybe. Th- Two or three years ago, like they were talking about Kubernetes and no one even really understood what that was. And like the leading thought leadership on Kubernetes was literally called Kubernetes the hard way, (laughs) which was sort of like this is a very difficult thing uh, to do. And yet that's sort of like, uh, I don't know, a big deal (laughs) in that space nowadays. So, yeah, they're they're pretty good at that. And then then as a uh, as a sidecar, like no distant pun intended uh, for that. Like, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think hiring the, the you know, the the guy Thomas from uh, from Oracle, it's sort of like all we've been saying, and I said this on a Software Defined Talk podcast a while ago, and I think reprised it here a little bit, is like everyone's been saying for the past two or three years that Google should have more enterprise-oriented sales. So mm-hmm. they hired an enterprise-oriented person. And, That's right. And, I mean, we'll see what happens, right? I mean, there's always cultural problems and things like that, but uh, I don't know. I, I think it'll probably turn out well. There you go. Good. Uh, the last one in the CIO one was actually tongue-in-cheek that block, blockchain will literally transform everything in the cloud and just saying because I have to do something about blockchain. But, you know, non-joking aside, do you feel like blockchain changed the world in the, in 2018? You know, Amazon at reInvent announced their own ledger database and a blockchain sort of service. But it seems like obviously parts of that, and then you get into sort of Bitcoin and some other aspects of that universe, which kind of crashed a little bit this year. But like the blockchain world, did you see applicability in actual enterprise places of people trying to use that sort of model successfully? Nope. I didn't see a ton. So I I don't don't think there was was. really... uh, There's always lots of potential. And the the only... I shouldn't say the only. The most interesting stories I always hear is like supply chain management. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, it, it yeah. seems interesting for that, but it, it seems way overblown. Um, and 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 I think, I mean, not to, well, not to. Let me keep babbling on some more here. Like, I think the problem is, and this is from a very non-intelligent stance, is like all blockchain does is say you had two parties that agreed to something. And it's verified by a third party. And I'm sure it's a lot more mysterious than that, but it's sort of like, well, if two parties can agree on a third party to agree on something, do we need a bunch of fancy math? Like mm. what <laughs> like you still need this third party. And I think that's kind of what AWS announced is like, we will be your third party. So there you go. Right. But if you can't like recruit that third party, then it doesn't matter. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's more nuance to it, but it's sort of like it seems like a lot of over-engineering to n- trying to avoid picking someone as your third-party verifier. Like, it's really weird. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, as far as, like, verifying that stuff happened in your supply chain and a few things here and there, it seems interesting. But, like, I don't really see how it's going to disrupt the global banking system. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, we'll see. I'm not, not like I'm down on it. It just seems like it's so overhyped. But I guess we'll keep an exactly. eye on that. 2018 or 2019. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Last one. And what's, then we can what's talk the last about one? Our own stuff was, uh, got to hit machine learning AI stuff. So I'm looking at the pivotal software trends and one was like, hey, you're going to see, you know, even more applicability of things around machine learning and AI. You're going to see this come into more ways and more places in enterprise, not just, again, startups doing the chatbots or whatever. So are you seeing AI ML pick up the pace? I think I've definitely seen more people interested maybe doing still some initial stuff versus transforming their business based on machine learning or doing certain things. But 
it, it seems like it's becoming a bit more mainstream. I don't know if we're going to have the robots actually running companies mm, in two years. Like that. But what you, do you think? You ever see that Twilight Zone episode where like a mainframe ends up eventually firing the CEO? I, I guess I guess that's an early version of Elon Musk's paperclip problem, right? Where uh, you tell an AI to make a paperclip, then it ends up eradicating the human race because that's the most efficient way to make a paperclip or something. To, that makes a lot of sense. To be a downer. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I was going to mention I'm watching BoJack Horseman and a robot just took over a company, but that's very different. Oh, nice. I yeah. haven't watched that in a long time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think maybe this is one of those where like uh, where like it's not that it's not happening it's that there was no significant movement in 2018 versus 2017 <laughs> if, mm-hmm. if that makes sense so yeah i mean i agree with what you said i see a lot of talk and conversation about potential but i haven't read i haven't read enough stories of actual usage in the enterprise to make me think i've read enough stories of actual usage in the enterprise <laughs> <laughs> right and for besides the like like hey we used image recognition like package totally. services from the cloud providers. yeah like, yeah, yes, yeah yeah that's yeah, cool but yeah, your like, own sets exactly like we talked about uh, amazon part finder a while back right where it's just like and i played around with this again today where you can just like point your phone uh you know using the amazon app at like some product and it'll try to say oh this is what it is so you can buy more of it and and it worked i tried it on two things or I tried it three times, and it worked two times on a uh, a plug adapter and a pin. And then I tried it a third time on the pin, and it got confused, which is fine, right? Like, two out of three is pretty good. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think the most interesting thing I always hear is, like, so if we wanted to do insurance claims, this stuff could help, which sounds awesome and pragmatic, but I haven't heard it any more beyond that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Another thing I'm bullish on, but how do, how do companies take what we're actually encouraging them to do, which is distributing more of their data, so you don't have these massive data lakes and all these single massive databases, and said, hey, have a database per microservice. And then, by the way, tomorrow, glean the information from all of them and make mm. quality predictions. So, I mean, it's interesting. Is the architecture actually going to make some of this harder? Maybe not, but I don't know if we've uh, we've actually landed on something that's repeatable yet. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I forget... This must be, and I think I mentioned this a while back, back, there was there was this great article that was basically like, if you're doing digital transformation and you're not changing your business around, then you're wasting your time, right? Like if there's mm-hmm. no change to what you're doing, then it doesn't matter. And for example, like I think there's a lot of practical things I think that machine learning could apply to. Like uh, I stay at like Marriott and Starwood hotels and about half of the time I have to email to get my invoice sent to me for whatever reason. <laughs> And, like, that would be a great machine learning thing to be like, hey, this one person emails us half the time to get their invoice, so maybe we should just make sure we can send them an invoice, <laughs> right? Nice. I mean, there, there's kind of like that proactive stuff that would seem to be really simple to do, but mm-hmm. I don't know. So maybe, hopefully next year, we'll sort this out, and I won't have to wait to file my expenses. Awesome. So let's take a couple minutes then, and... Uh have our own hot take predictions. All right. Well, I'll I'll uh, I'll start with one to give you time to uh, read your notes or think. I think I think uh, building on the the AI and ML th- machine learning thing. Here here's my bold prediction. I don't know if this is hope or prediction, 
but I think I think it I think it pans out using my complicated model for doing predictions. <laughs> I think I think people will stop talking about artificial intelligence and they'll just talk about machine learning and they'll be like, "Oh, AI is some Arthur C. Clarke stuff." And that's mm-hmm. not what we're talking about. We're just talking about machine learning. And and I think even the economist has kind of front run like I think they'll have some cover story of like some machine that's like sitting at a desk learning. And uh, and then that'll be it. We'll call it machine learning forever. No one will say AI, AI again. Mm. Yeah, right. that's a hot take. Uh, good. So what do I have for you? Uh, actually, I think that, and maybe you'll like this one. I think architects are going to come back in vogue more oh, in 2019 because nice. we're going to look at arguably more modern software development. You cannot, I mean, in your monolithic book, I can't just heads down on a stack anymore. I really do have to understand how to glue things together, stitch things together, understand big picture. And more importantly, like I don't know if it's ever been easier to make absolutely catastrophic decisions in tech just because we're so empowered on stuff. And so, you know, that choice of multi-cloud might be great for this project, but I've just added a gob of technical debt potentially for the next person. So Mm. architects being able to come over the top and make informed decisions. So not sort of just these helicopter architects who just kind of, you know, fly around and dispel wisdom, but people who actually know these systems. It seems like that's going to be increasingly important as I'm maybe doing less raw coding because I shouldn't be writing my own identity system anymore. And instead, I'm gluing together a lot of managed services in the cloud. I need architecture. That's not just a dev skill. So I actually think that's going to be a hotter job next year. That's good. That's like to use another old sci-fi reference, a Frank Herbert one. We'll have the the sleeper will awaken. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think that makes total sense. And and to plug it again, right? Like if you if you watch some of Vincent from Rabobank's talk, he's talking exactly about enterprise architecture and thinking through that. So I think uh I think that'll come to fruition. I, I like that one. So here here's another one, kind of uh something I complain about. I think I think there'll be a lot of complaining about the online world. And in the US, mm-hmm. I've already heard lots of people talking about like we should have some sort of data protection laws and things. But I think absolutely nothing will happen and the government won't even talk about it, except in a crazy way, because just Mm. like there will be no U.S. GDPR stuff, because really, like, I don't think we care. And there's other things going on. So uh, I I think we'll we'll just have the the extra thing to click on free existence in the U.S. that we've enjoyed so well, so much and that Europe no longer has. That's basically how it is in Europe now. If you want to look at anything on the Internet, you're required to click a different button than you used to we've added a new click and sometimes it's even more confusing there's like a radio button you have to select things on uh but i I don't think we'll have that next year got it all right so i guess my last one would be i think you look at the absolute mounds of cash that a lot of companies have on their balance sheets right now i think you're gonna see even more m&a next year and potentially the big stuff Maybe not just the little tuck-ins of like, hey, here's a cool company that did you know, a Series A funding round. Let's pick them up. But you might see more of this IBM Red Hat sort of world of you know, some of these mm. mega cloud vendors who are just printing money right now saying, hey, how do we tuck in more software companies that might still be multi-billion dollar acquisitions, but we have the cash and let's keep consolidating the market. So I don't know. I just think M&A is going to be even bigger next year as software companies have more esoteric questions of like, can we beat the service providers? What's this open source versus cloud provider debate going to result in? Like, can these companies actually not be a cloud provider and still make significant money on open source? I think there's going to be a lot of good questions we're going to be asking and then probably some M&A as a result. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, you know, I am no financial prognosticator, 
but but modeling it out in my head, you're right. There's a lot of cash around, right? Like we're we're in this weird, in the tech world, this weird situation where like, like for example, Microsoft. Every mm-hmm. every one seems extremely successful, and there's limitless potential and lots of money around. But people are like all weirded out in the general business world. <laughs> I don't know. It's always a strange situation, and and then also. Uh, to be all macro person, like uh, mm-hmm. I think next year will be the beginning of the next U.S. presidential campaign cycle, right? Like, because it'll be probably, and so like that'll be crazy. <laughs> 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 and and then so you know, in such a situation, it's sometimes what happens is you've got a great asset, right? Some tech thing, and you have the ability to take advantage of that, and in not in a bad way. And so mm-hmm. there's a uh, there's a flight to like um, I don't know the castle to consolidation and doing things to like hold on to something build the value and then do something with it. So sure that would be interesting. That's a further tech industry consolidation. That that makes sense. I like that. Yeah, one. Should, should be so, a fun year either way. So then the last one and then uh, and then that'll be it. We'll see how these pan out next year. I yeah. think uh, I think you know I think. We'll we'll figure out finally what serverless versus functions versus whatever are, and I think oh. with there's plenty of definition, there's plenty of technical definitions of what it is, like it's this thing or that thing, and what it looks like. But more of what I mean, even more so than what it is, is what you would use it for and why it makes mm-hmm. and what it makes sense, right? So on one end of the spectrum, you've got Simon Wardley, who's like serverless is everything and it's going to change the world, which is fine. And then on the mm-hmm. other end of the spectrum, I don't know who represents this view, but it's just like, I don't know, sometimes I want to use it. And uh, somewhere in the middle there is like, basically, I guess what I'm saying is, do you build your entire application on top of whatever serverless is? Or is it just a thing that you use in the same way you use queues? And mm-hmm. I don't really know what the answer is, but hopefully we'll sort that out as a community. And uh, by this time next year, we'll know exactly what it is and how to deploy it. And that'll get sorted out. I think. I think... That'll probably be the main focus of development, think, over the next year is sorting that out. I think that's a good question, you know, and a good prediction. We, I spent time at the Gartner show recently, and, you know, they've even seen an uptick in sort of queries of some people who have kind of thrown up their hands on trying to even run their own container stuff and saying, hey, maybe I should switch to something else. And that's mm-hmm. just an early indicator of something. And other people are obviously, you know, KubeCon, a big event. There's That's not going away anytime soon. But that question of, apps and containers and functions and managed services. And I think that that's a great prediction. I think we're going to get crisper next year versus this all or nothing. I think we'll get a little tighter on what parts of an enterprise portfolio might fit in each one of these. And what's the transition look like from one to the other? Because nobody's tomorrow rewriting their ERP system as a set of functions. So what does the future look like? You know, I don't know why. Maybe this is my uh, de bono lateral thinking thing, but I feel like... (laughs) I feel like there's some wisdom to be had. You know, you got two types of screwdrivers. You got a flathead screwdriver and a Phillips screwdriver. And my question is always, why do we have a flathead screwdriver? Right? Like, I mean, have you ever been confronted with a flathead screwdriving job and be like, oh boy, that was a good choice? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like, it's always the worst situation when you have to put a flathead screw in. It's always bad, right? It slips out. It doesn't work. And a Phillips is much better because it's like sticks in there. And I feel like, I feel like that's a, like, why have this second choice that's no good? You need, you need to figure out the right, the right kind of way of doing this one, putting a screw in. Maybe if you have a nail, you use a hammer, but like, don't, 
we don't want flathead screwdrivers. Let's make sure that doesn't happen. Like, just pick something and move on. No flathead screwdrivers. Wow. That is a strong note to end on. Maybe you're going to switch us to metric. <laughs> I mean, here I mean am, well. I, am, am I wrong? Is there a good reason to use? Maybe there's an aesthetic reason. Maybe it might look cool, right? But, like, the experience of, of screwing in or worse, screwing out, is that the right phrase? A, uh, a flathead <laughs> screw is terrible. Yeah. It's a bad experience. Versus a Phillips is just like, boom, done. It works. So All that's right. it. I, I think the screwdriver community is going to be up in arms about this conversation, but I'm excited <laughs> about it. That's a, that's a passionate bunch. <laughs> that's right. Well, as always, this has been Pivotal Conversations. If you want to find this show, I don't know why you'd want to find it if you're already listening to it. <laughs> but if you want to find this show and all the others, you can go to soundcloud.com slash Pivotal Conversations. And despite the best wishes of our editorial board, who would like me to tell you this at the beginning of the episode, which I always forget, uh, what's going to happen over the past two years, I have a prediction uh, that the Pivotal Insights and Pivotal Conversation podcast will merge and become Mm. just the Pivotal podcast, which I think for you, the listeners, will be great because you'll get access to uh, both access. You'll hear both of the podcasts. And on Pivotal Insights, they do a fantastic job. I have another prediction. I bet they'll have Vincent from Rabobank on at some point. Good bet. Uh, but they'll have uh, they they talk with customers about how they've been doing things, and uh, both Dormain and Jeff are great at uh, interviewing people. And then you'll also mm-hmm. get this podcast. So uh, hopefully you won't have to really do very much, uh, and you'll continue to get those as well. So don't get shocked when you start to be even more impressed with the with the pivotal podcast. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye bye. <laughs>